Well, again, it is good to see everyone. And uh, hey, didn't Tim and the band and the worship team, didn't they just do a great job today? It was so, so good worshiping. We can do that. Absolutely. It was just great to worship together. And, and they just really drew us in the presence of God. And then Jeff, uh, just willing to share your testimony and to give of yourself and to, uh, we, you, nobody here would know this, but he shared his testimony last night, which we were thankful for. At nine o'clock, he shared it again. And then as soon as he was done sharing it at nine, he jumps in his car and he runs over to Ceres because Ceres is now able to meet in person too. And uh, so he shared his testimony over there, got back in his car and ran over here and did it. And so Jeff, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving us a brilliant picture of God's faithfulness and his, and his plan and his, and his power in someone's life. And then Brandon, didn't he? He just really drew that together, the, the importance of a testimony, that what that means and how, how, how impactful it is in people's lives and that each one of us are called, we're really called to share the goodness and the, and the power of God's work in our lives and people all around us are waiting to hear it. And it's a powerful thing. And then how great to have a pastor like Rick and Joel and Rick just led us through a time of prayer for not only a, a dear friend and pastor of ours, but for the pain and disappointment and struggles in each of our lives, that we have a father that cares so much. And Rick just led us down that path. And so I'm grateful, grateful for our church and our pastors and all those that help us to just have a time of worship. And now it's time for us to get into the word and spend some time in the word and let that pour into our lives as it does so well. And we're going to be looking uh, at, in Mark chapter 6. We're going to be picking up in verse 30. We're going to be looking at a, a story that's pretty familiar. And uh, it's the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to be looking at that one. Uh, you can go on the BVG app and, and pull off the outline if you have that. If you don't, I really want to recommend that you would download that on your phones. And, uh, and, and it's been revamped. There's all sorts of tools on there. It's a, it's a great resource and tool for you to have at your disposal. So it's uh, the BVG app. You can get the outline and follow along and see the passages. If you're watching online, then the outline is just, uh, it's, it's in there and it's uh, a part of our online experience. And so I uh, hope you're able to, to grab it and take a look at it. As we look at Mark, we're going to we're going to continue in our series called Come and See. And what we want to do is we want to come and see the Jesus of Scriptures. Not the Jesus that anybody else made up. Not the Jesus, the politically correct one. Not the one that's a, that's, that's a, a, a soft, uh, you know, gentle little baby in a manger. Only that baby. Or, or not the one that, that some people have said is legalistic. Not the, one, not the one that anyone tainted or described or made up themselves. We want to look at the Jesus of scripture. And so we're inviting all of us to, with fresh eyes, jump into the gospels, which is why we put together this gospel to read through all the gospels together at the same time, to jump in with fresh eyes to the gospels and come and see Jesus, to be reminded of his character and his power and his, to be reminded of his majesty to be reminded of his teachings and to come and see Jesus. And the way we're doing that is we're grabbing some different stories out of the Gospels, stories that depict that character and that majesty. Um, and and we're, we're opening up, we're unpacking them. And we're unpacking them in a way that you might unpack them with a friend that you, or, or a relative or a neighbor or a coworker that you might say, hey, I want you to see the Jesus of Scripture. I want you to see the Jesus I know. And I want you to see him in his... And when he walked on the earth and when he taught, I want you to hear his words. And then we get to share our testimony right alongside of that and go, here's how that same power and that same message and that same character has been displayed in my own life. And we get to share that with them. 
And it's, a, it's an amazing moment to say, come and see uh, while I tell you, right? So come and see Jesus and let's go tell the world about who he is, okay? So we pick up in Mark 6 and, and a little, little, little quick, quick background on Mark. It's uh, the shortest of all the gospels. It's the quickest of all the gospels as it, you know, short and quick, it moves through it. As a matter of fact, Mark uses the word immediate or immediately more than any other writer. And he's literally moving. The story moves fast. And he gives us these quick pictures and the pictures of Jesus' power, that he is king of all kings, that he is worthy of our praise. And Mark puts his miracles on display. Mark puts his teaching on display. We often hear in Mark that he taught with great authority and people were astounded at his teaching. But he puts something else on display. He puts the servanthood of Jesus on display. And so within the pages of Mark, we see Jesus, the servant king, on display. And we see in Mark 10, this pivotal chapter where Mark actually writes that Jesus did not come to be served, right? The king of all kings did not come to be served, but to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom. That means to make payments. To give his life as a ransom for each of us. To lay his life down for us. That is our servant King Jesus. And that's who we see in the book of Mark. Now, in Mark 6, which we see at the end of Mark 6, Peter walking on water, I mean, uh, Jesus walking on water, which is what we looked at last week. So what's happening before that time? Well, the passage we're going to be in is there's this crowd of 5,000 plus people that are fed. But before that, we see that Jesus takes his 12 disciples and he sends them out to do ministry. And upon sending them out, to do ministry. He's taught them. He's demonstrated for them. He's, he dis- displayed it. And he said, you're going to go teach people to repent and accept the good news. You're going to go teach people about me and what I'm here to do. You're going to heal diseases and sicknesses, and you're going to drive out demons in my name. You're going to go do that work. You see, Jesus was preparing them for a time when he would ascend back to heaven and they would be his hands and his feet. So they went through training and then they were sent out two by two to do that ministry, the same ministry he did. Remember, Jesus went throughout all the towns, the villages and the synagogues, teaching and preaching the good news of the gospel, healing every disease and sickness, right? Healing every disease and sickness and having compassion on people because they were like sheep, harassed and helpless without a shepherd. And he said, you disciples, my disciples, the ones I'm training, my apprentices, you're going to go do the same. And why is that so important that we understand that? Because it's our same responsibility. It was passed down throughout the generations to us. All the disciples of Jesus Christ have the same call in their life to go out and to go tell and to go declare and to be his conduit and his instruments of grace and his mercy and his teachings. And so we see his disciples being sent out to do that. We see at the time that they return, just before this feeding, that we find out, at least in the Gospel of Mark, we find out that John has been killed. No, no, no. John the baptizer, not killed, but murdered. And why was he murdered? For righteousness. Why was he murdered? Because he declared righteousness to a person who didn't want to hear of the righteous way that they were to live. They wanted to live the way they wanted to, and so they had him killed wasn't 
the only person killed at that time. So why was that such a big deal? Because it was Jesus' cousin. It was the one that came before him to say he was coming. It was the announcer that would tell everybody that Jesus was here. To say that he lost a close friend would be an understatement. And to say that he was in pain would be to speak too lightly of the situation. Jesus was grieving. That's where we pick up the story. That's where we pick up the passage. The disciples have come back. The crowds were constantly around Jesus. It was getting to be more of a restless time with the Jewish leadership. Politically, it was a time of unrest. And here we find Jesus, just hearing news of his cousin and his disciples coming back. Pick up with me, chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that you can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. Then they found, when they found out, they said to him, we have five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. So he sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. As we get to the end of that passage, let me just make one comment on that. It says that there was 5,000 men that were there that were fed. The commentators and the scholars have have estimated that number could have been well over 20,000 people because they only counted the men at that time. So between women and children and others and and all that had gathered there, there could have been upwards of 20,000. We don't know for sure, but what we know for sure was that there was 5,000 men that had been counted. That's quite the crowd. And we see that there was an incredible miracle that took place. We see that The disciples got to be a vessel, a conduit of God's power and his mercy. You see, one commentator said it this way, that Jesus and the father manufactured the miracle and the disciples got to distribute the miracle. Make no mistake, church. Make no mistake, church. The same is true today. Our Jesus manufactures miracles, manufactures his power, and he gives it to us to distribute into the lives of others if we choose to be those people that receive his blessings and give it away. Come and see Jesus and go and tell.
and watch the miracles he does. There's a few things I want us to take away that I think can be beneficial to us and beneficial when we're unpacking a story like that, like this to others. I think we can unpack it in a way that really helps people to see the character and the grace and the love of our Jesus. The very first thing I want us to see is that our needs are important to Jesus. Our needs are important to Jesus. The apostles, get, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, let's, let's think about this for a quick second. The disciples had just been out there. They had just been out there doing ministry. They had been out there healing diseases through the power of the Holy Spirit and through that same power driving out demons. They had been teaching and preaching the good news of the gospel that Jesus was here to repent and to turn from their lives. They had been teaching all of that. They had been walking two by two into towns and villages, to homes and to, to, to areas of, the, of, that, of that time. I wonder what took place. I wonder who they saw walk that couldn't walk. I wonder who they saw see that couldn't see. I wonder who they saw, saw was that they were able to hear that couldn't hear at one time. I wonder what they experienced. I wonder what it was like. I, I wonder who received the message of Christ through the teaching of the gospel. I wonder how their eyes lit up and how they experienced it for the first time. I wonder what that was like and how excited they must have been to tell Jesus what they experienced or maybe how excited they were to share with them some of the pain that they had experienced. Some of the disregard for the message, some of the times they would run out of homes or run out of towns, some of the times they were rejected and abandoned, the times that they sought to heal but they didn't have enough faith they wanted to share all of it with Jesus. And, he, and they, they gathered around him. And they said, it's time, Jesus, I want to share. And Jesus looked around and the crowds were pressing in and the, the commotion was there. But he also knew that they had traveled and they were tired and they were weary and that they were hungry. And so he said, come, let's pull away. What's going to happen when they pull away? The attention is going to be fully, there's going to be a focus of attention. Come and let me give you my full attention. Come and let us sit together. Come and let me fill you with food because that's a great need that you have. Let me give you rest because you need it. By the way, church, it's okay to rest. It is. It's okay to, to take a nap. Sometimes John Ortberg said this as he was writing about some of the most holy things we could do. He said some of the most holy and righteous things we can do to worship and honor our God sometimes is to take a nap. And to remember that he is God and we are not and he still controls everything. And when we wake up, it's all still gonna be spinning and he's still gonna be in control. It's okay to rest. You see, the Lord knows our needs and he cares about them. So what we see here is that he cares about our needs. All of them, every one of them, the needs that you have, he cares. And I know that doesn't sound like rocket science, but do we believe it? I know it doesn't sound like this great mystery that's been unpacked, but do we believe it? Do we believe that he cares about the smallest details of our lives? Do we believe that he cares about the very smallest need of bread and water? Do we care? Do we know that he cares and do we believe that he cares? It will change the way we live if we believe that he has that under control and that he cares about those details. I want to draw a few more uh, points of understanding from this idea that he cares. And the first one is this, 
How can we respond to the fact that he cares about our needs? Let's celebrate. You see, the things we celebrate, we tend to believe to a greater degree. The things we celebrate, we tend to remember to a greater degree. The things that we celebrate, we tend to admire to a greater degree. Celebrate that you have a God, the God most high, the one who created all things, including you, who is not distant and far off and absent from your life, but the exact opposite. He cares about the minute detail of your life, including the fact that you need rest. He cares and he wants to hear. He wants you to pull away with him and to tell him about your day and the ups and the downs and the battles and the struggles. He cares. Celebrate the fact that your God cares. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want us to do with the fact that God cares is this. Remember that he cares. Do not forget that he cares. We can know it. We can celebrate it, but we can so often forget it and do not forget it. Remember, you heard Brandon talk about the importance of remembering that we're supposed to tell the stories of God and how he acted in our lives. We're supposed to remember those stories. We're supposed to remember that he cares about our lives. But I want to just turn that just for a brief second because it's not just remembering the stories, but it's remembering that he cares because sometimes he's going to say this to you. He's going to say, I need you to wait. He's going to put you on pause for a quick second, even though you have these needs that, yes, are urgent. And he knows. But he's going to say, we're going to wait a minute. Remember, he had pulled away with the disciples. They landed and there was a giant crowd. And as he got out with his disciples, right, he saw a large crowd. He got out of the boat and it says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion literally means to suffer with. It doesn't mean that he walked by them and went, "Woo, man, you guys got a lot of problems. I got my boys here. I need to take care of them first. He would have been absolutely justified to do that. His 12 men had needs and he was meeting their needs. But instead he looked at the disciples and he said this, it's not written, but he must have grabbed them. He said, look, boys, men, I know you're hungry. I know you're tired. And I know I promised you rest and food and it's coming. (laughs) But right now, we're going to put our needs on hold because the Lord, our father, right? Our father has intersected our lives with these people that need our help. And we have the ability and the capacity through the strength of our father to give it to him. Let's do it. Let's do it. They had to remember that the Lord was going to meet his needs, that he was going to be that way maker. He was going to be that promise keeper and he would meet their needs, even though at that moment they were asked to hold while they went and met the needs of these others. And what does that mean for you in our lives? It means that sometimes he's going to say, your life is about to intersect with somebody else. And right now, by you remaining in this pain and in this difficult moment, it's going to benefit. And you're going to be able to be my conduit of understanding and my conduit of grace and my conduit of truth. Because in your need and in your difficulty, you are going to relate to this person so much better. And I need you to remain in that need for just a while longer. Remember, he's going to meet it. Or what I need to teach you is, is that by you remaining in your meat, you will be more available and more open to my teaching because the greatest thing I need to give you is this truth. 
I don't know what it is, but sometimes he asks us to wait and we don't know why he's asking us to wait, but he does. So we need to remember that he cares about our needs, which leads us to the third thing I want us to understand about our needs is that we have a great need. We have a need that is greater than every other need, no matter how we feel at the moment. We have a need that is greater and is the need for truth. The greatest need we have is for truth. Now notice when he gets out of the boat and he says he has compassion on them because they're sheep without a shepherd. Notice that the first thing he does is not feeding others, healing somebody, making them walk. No, what's the first thing that he does? He begins to teach them because it is the great need that we have. It's the greatest one. And so of all the ways that you can expect the Lord on high to meet your needs, he's gonna do it through his word. He's gonna do it through talking to you and speaking to you and teaching you through his word. He's gonna bring food your way. He's gonna bring shelter your way. He's gonna provide for you physically. He's gonna pull you up from the drowning sea because we took our eyes off him. He's gonna do all of that. He's gonna be in the midst of the struggle and the trials. He's gonna do all that. But he's going to bring his word into your life and he is going to teach you because that is the greatest need that we have that we would learn how to follow him, how to love him, how to love others, how to live righteously, how to make it through this moment in the most righteous way. That is what we need most. And by the way, we are in a world and in a time where the greatest thing that the world around us needs is the truth of Jesus Christ and his word. It has an answer for every circumstance that we're in today. Of all the needs that we will find in church, there are so many ways that God wants to use us in people's lives right now. And this great time of need that we have, not only in our country, but in our world. But what's needed most is the teaching of Jesus Christ. May we be the conduit of that teaching and we may understand that the greatest need that anyone has is the need for the word of God. As we go through each one of these points, we wanna take a moment and just talk to dads real quick. And so dad, here's your nugget out of this, right? Here's your nugget. Is it Jesus cares about our needs, right? We're gonna celebrate that. Oh, we're gonna, right? We're gonna, we're gonna remember that. He cares about our needs. And we're gonna know that the greatest need that he has, that we have, each one of us have, is the need for the teaching of Jesus. So dads, we need to teach every moment. Every moment needs to be a teaching moment. Dads, that is the greatest thing you have to give your sons and your daughters, the word of God, above all else. Man, some of you dads can take a wrench and take a hammer and you can teach like nobody's business how to take care of a home, how to build things, how to, how to fix things. You can teach it. And in fact, would you teach me because I need some help. But the greatest thing we have to give is the word of God. And we have to be teaching the word of God. How did Jesus do it? He walked through everyday life and he had everyday moments and everyday situations. And he grabbed his disciples and he said, listen, man, and he taught and he taught and he taught. And when he walked down the street, he taught. And when he sat with people, he taught. And when he found people in need, he taught. He met their needs. He healed their diseases and sickness, but he taught the word of God. Every chance you get, dads, teach the word of God. And some of us responded to that. We're like, ah, oh, my kids are gonna think I'm a Bible basher. Well, listen, I have bashed my boys with all sorts of stuff and the Bible's the best one I got. It's the thing that's changed their life the most. You don't have to bash them. 
but we do have to teach. We do have to teach. Dads, teach every moment a teaching moment. And the next thing I want us to see is this, that it's, we gotta stop and check our lenses. We gotta check our lenses because how is it that we're seeing life? Are we seeing it as a series of problems or a potential? Are we seeing it as a series of problems or the potential that, that God will get the glory? That we're in this moment and because of what's happening, when we surrender it to God, God will get the glory. Or is there a problem that we gotta just depend on ourselves and we gotta white knuckle it through and we'll, we'll just depend on our wisdom and that's as far as we'll go and, and God's given us some good wisdom. He's given us some great experiences and so hey, we're, we're, this, this is as good as it gets. Check your lenses, church. Because you see, Jesus saw things very differently. He saw these moments, these problems as potential. The potential for God the Father to get the glory. The potential to see God show up and show off. To see his majesty on display. To see the power that created all heaven and earth on display. Do you see the problems in your life as a potential for God to do that? Or does he just do that for other people? Does he just do that in scripture? Does he not do it today? He does it today. And he's, he, we have these problems and these circumstances in our lives. And he's going, woo! Okay. Okay, son. Okay, daughter. I'm ready to do something spectacular. And we're like, no, no, that's okay. I got my wisdom. I'm good. I, I know how to get through this. I've had some experiences. Now, that's what the disciples did. And they didn't do anything wrong. They did that though. They got to this moment, it got late at night and they got, you know, maybe 20,000 people there. Who knows how many are there? And they got a crowd and the crowd's getting hungry and it made perfect sense to look at the crowd and go, man, that crowd's hungry. We gotta get them some food. And every earthly wisdom and reasonable response would say, send them home. <laughs> they've had a great day of ministry. We've been teaching and they've been healing and people are standing up and walking. This is great. It's at the end of the day now, Jesus. Let's send them home. They can get home safely and on the way home, they can grab some food and man, they're gonna keep talking and keep celebrating at home. What in the world is wrong with that response? That's a great response. Nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, if, if we had gathered people here and we had 20,000 people here, we would look at them and we'd get to that time of the day and we'd be like, man, people are hungry. What should we do? What would our response be? Send them home. Somebody else might go, oh, should we send them home? Well, I don't know. Maybe we can feed them. We'd call up Domino's. Hey, Domino's, we got 20,000 people here. Can you provide some pizzas? And they're like, for how many people? 20,000. Um, no. Well, can you do it? Some of them and free? Uh, we'll send you 10 pizzas. Oh, that doesn't work. So what do you do? That's the end of my wisdom. That's the end of my understanding. Hey, besides that, we don't even have enough money to buy all the food that it would take to feed 20,000 people. Are you kidding me? Send them home. That's the best bet. Nothing wrong with that response, except for Jesus. Jesus looked back at his, his, his guys and he said, what? We're in the business. Boys, we're in the business of caring about people's needs. We're in the business of helping people. We're in the business of walking alongside of them. This is a potential. This is a potential moment to watch our father do what he does and he shows up and he shows off in big ways and they're still not getting it. And so Jesus does this little teaching moment. He goes, give me what you got. I don't got anything. And they go looking around and, and they, find, they find a couple fish and they find a few loaves and they, they bring it back. And just in case you have one of those wild imaginations like I do, you might be thinking they brought back a couple whales. Nope. 
sardines. That's how big they were, sardines. Two sardines. They searched around 20,000 people and brought back two sardines. It was a little boy's lunch. That's what he would take in his lunch bag. Two sardines, that would be very common. And in case you're thinking that it was seven semifuls or five semifuls or, or two semifuls of truck of bread. It was, no, it wasn't. And in fact, it wasn't even loaves because maybe you could divvy up the crumbs of a loaf. I don't know. It wasn't even that. It was a biscuit. It was the size of a biscuit. Why? Because that young boy would take his sardine and put it on his biscuit and have lunch. That was the little bit that they had that they brought to Jesus. And what did he do? He gave thanks and God showed up and showed off. It was a potential for the most majestic moment you could imagine. All they had to do was give them what they had. Church, that's how you live in potential and not problems. It's okay to think through the problems. It's okay to have human wisdom. It's okay to practice that human wisdom. But then you say, this is what I got. This is my wisdom. These are my resources. This is myself. It's what I got. Lord, what can you do with it? Can you do something different? This couple, their name is, uh, their name was Dennis and Nancy Cochran, and they showed up to Papua New Guinea, and they, they came across a tribe and planted themselves in the midst of this tribe, the Duna people. And when they got there, the Duna people spoke only their language. There was no other language that was like it. There was no other language that was any type of common language. It was their language and their language alone. Nobody else on the planet spoke it. And they had never heard another language spoken besides their language. And they showed up to teach them who Jesus Christ was and introduce them to the Savior. They were doing what disciples are supposed to go do. They just happened to be doing it in Papua New Guinea. And when they showed up there, they could have looked at it and said, well, we're linguists and we can translate stuff, but there's no common language. We can't even do this. There's no way to communicate whatsoever. We have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea what we're saying. There is nothing in common. Oh, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, but you must have landed us in the wrong village. So we're going to go to the next village over where there's at least a shared language. And I get how to do that. Nope. They planted themselves there. And they started by saying, by pointing at a stick. Literally, the story goes, and pointed at a stick. He knew it was called a stick. He looked at it and they said what it was called. And he did his best to write it down. And he created a, a, a written language out of the words and the tones he was hearing. And he created a written language. It went from stone to rock to other things. And as they depicted all these things, they were able to get more and more words and be able to have some sort of a conversation. And eventually they were able to translate the book of John. And they had the gospel before them. One day, the, the chief and the elder came in and some of the elders came up to him. And they said, Dennis, we're ready. Ready for what? We want to follow Jesus. What? Who's we? All of us. We've all decided that we want to follow the Jesus and the God of your carvings. They called the scriptures the carvings. He said, uh, okay. And that week, they baptized that week some 1,200 people. Because you see, because you see, Dennis and Nancy Cochran didn't just see a problem, but they saw the potential of what God could do, of how he would show up and show off in ways where he would receive the glory.
and not people. Where he could do only that which he could do. Ephesians 3 says he'll do immeasurably more than we can ever think or ask. Than we could ever imagine. And they believed that. The story doesn't end there. They're continuing to, they're continuing to translate. And they're continuing to unpack the gospel. And the chief is sitting with him trying to help out, come up with other words and things like that. And he looks at him and he says, did your father have these carvings? He said, yes. A few minutes later, it got quiet and he said, did, did his father have those carvings? He said, yes. A few minutes later, it got quiet again. Did his father have those carvings? Yes. And he said, don't be upset, but did his father have those carvings? Yes. And he got this really somber look on his face. And he said, then why did it take so long to bring them to us? Church, that didn't happen hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It happened a couple decades ago. It's because the Lord often will call us to these really difficult moments that our own wisdom and our own understanding can't process and can't make sense of. We can't figure out how in our own wisdom we can make this happen and that this would make sense. And so we put God's potential on the sideline and stick with our problems and the way we might solve them and we look away from them or go in a different direction. Let this remind you, this great story, is that Jesus cares about our needs, yeah? And that everything in your life to him is a potential that God would get the glory. And may we live with open hands, giving him what we have, no matter how little or small or big, and say, Lord, use it for your glory. Dads, what's, what's a little nugget for you? Point to the potential. Be that person in your family. Be that person for your sons and your daughter and you point to the potential. You literally get up on the rock and you stand there and you say, son, daughter, I know it's tough right now. I know your knees are buckling. I know your hands are getting tired from gripping so hard, but I gotta show you. You gotta see what the Lord can do if you will let him do it. You gotta understand this moment if you will let him do it. And I don't know how he's gonna do it, but I'm just telling you that my God takes these moments, your God takes these moments, and he does the unthinkable. He does the unimaginable, and he does that which is impossible. Son, daughter, would you open up your life, and would you release your grip, and would you you let him do the impossible? Would you read the stories of scripture and God doing the impossible? Would you read them to your kids? Would you remind them? And would you share with them all the time and point and be relentless? Dads, be relentless about pointing to the potential of what God can do in their life if they would surrender. I don't care if they're two or 52. They need a dad in their life pointing to the potential. And there's some men in my life that never stop pointing. And I am so grateful for them because I have a tendency to look at the problem and say, here's my solution. And they tell me to take my eyes off the problem and look at the glory of God. Dads, get up on top of that rock and point. And finally, church, what's the last thing I wanna look at in this passage? Is it trust that Jesus will meet your needs. He cares about your needs. He's gonna look at each and every need and problem as a potential for God's glory for his glory to be expressed through your life. 
And now it's time for us to trust that he will meet our needs, right? Isn't that what faith really is? When we put it to action, when we trust and we take that step, believing he's gonna put the ground underneath us to walk, we have to trust. We can't just have knowledge. Our knowledge has to be put to action and we have to trust. We have to trust that he will meet our needs. I want you to just look at the final part of this passage. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people and he also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten were 5,000. They had to believe that Jesus cared about the needs of those people and their needs. They had to trust that as they picked up the baskets, remember what he didn't do. He gave thanks and he didn't pile up a bunch of fish. So there's this giant pile or this giant pile of bread. He, he handed it back to them after he gave thanks. He handed it back to me. He said, now go pass it out. And he had already put them into fifties and hundreds. Sometimes the Lord puts our, 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 our movements with him in smaller pieces so that we can step and learn and step and learn to trust and learn to trust. So we remember what he did with that last 50. We remember what he did with that last hundred and we can trust trust him to keep going, to keep going. 20 some thousand people that day most likely ate. And what did they do? They took the two fish and the five loaves and they began to pass it out. Is there going to be enough? I don't know. Will there be enough? And they passed it out. And then they passed out and more ate and more ate and more ate and more ate and more ate. They trusted that the Lord would give them exactly what they needed, exactly when they needed it. They trusted But they trusted for something else. They too were hungry. They too needed to eat. They too were with Jesus when he said, I care about your needs. And don't skip past the part of the story. There wasn't just some crumbs left over. There wasn't just a little bit left over, which by the way, each said each person ate and was satisfied in the original language. That means filled like they couldn't eat anymore. And what was left? 12 basketfuls. How many disciples? 12. You gotta trust the Lord to meet your needs. You gotta trust him. So just in case you uh, tend to think, Tim, I'm gonna ask you and the band to come back up. Just in case you tend to think that maybe you gotta be a linguistics or a Bible translator or, or something like that to see these really cool miracles work and that the potential of God to do something outrageous. I want you to know that on 8th Street, it happened. 8th Street in Modesto, it happened this year. There was a ministry that took place there for over 11 years where uh, people were gathered twice a week to eat meals. They would cook meals and they would gather people in that neighborhood to eat. Once a week, they would pass out groceries and there was the word of God taught twice a week and worship happened twice a week and people came in off the street and they had memory verses to memorize and they actually memorized the verses. I've seen it. I've seen people walking off the street and and, and Tony, the, the man who runs the place, would go, hey, who's got the memory verse? And people would stand up and go, I got the memory verse. And they were memorizing the word of God. For 11 years, God provided for that ministry. For 11 years people ate. For 11 years the gospel was preached. And one day that church that ran that ministry said, the Lord's taking us in a different direction. We're going to shut down this ministry and we're going to go in a different direction. And the man that was running that ministry, Tony, he said, that's my heart. That's what the Lord has called me to do. I don't know what to do about this problem. You see, because I'm not a linguist. I'm not, I'm not one of those superstar Christians, man. I, I'm a logistics guy. I, helped, I, I make sure trucks get loaded and sent across the United States so people can have food in their grocery stores. That's what I do. 
And so what can, what can God do? What's the potential here? And he began to pray and he began to pray and he began to pray. And he said, Lord, I don't know what to do, but this ministry is not going to be here anymore. He went to the church and he said, we want to do this. He said, we're not going to do this. He said, well, what if I buy the building? He had no way to buy the building. He didn't have any money to buy the building. A couple hundred thousand dollars. He went to a bank. They're like, I can't give you a loan. How's he going to buy the building? But he went. He said, I don't know. This is what the Lord's telling me. I brought what I have, which is just myself. It's me. So I brought it to him. And I said, Lord, what will you do with this? So I went to the pastor and I said, hey, will you sell us the building? And they gave a price. And he goes, ah, we can't pay that. He went back and they prayed. And the Lord gave him an amount. And he said, this will be the amount. And he goes back and he says, look, we can't pay that. And he didn't give the amount. All of a sudden, the pastor says, it's this amount. And he goes, yes, that's it. We'll do it. That was the amount the Lord said. Because, right, God does these things. (laughs) And, And if that wasn't enough, right? He walks out of there with a loan that the church is gonna carry the loan. And he walks out of there, ready to do this ministry, to take this thing on. There's a problem. He's like, we don't have any money. I don't know how we're paying. There's no money. There's no money to pay for this thing. Listen, when you trust God to show up and to show off, when you trust him to, to care about your needs, when you trust him that he will bring glory to the Father, some of the most amazing things begin to happen. Within the first month, there began to be a revenue stream into this ministry that is sometimes five to 10 times the amount of the rent or of the mortgage that's due. A, a mortgage that should have taken a couple of decades to pay off, if God continues to bless in the way he is, will take two to three years to pay off. Today, the people of that neighborhood are still being cared for. The gospel is still being taught. And the people who work that ministry are the ones that came from that ministry. And that guy met with me one time and he told me his story. And I said, hey man, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor dude. Do you want me to go talk to your pastor dude and tell him to, you know, give you some help? And he said, no. God's gonna do this one or we're not doing it. I said, all right. And you see, I know this story so well because this is the story. This is my brother's story. And I watched him trust the Lord to do something so incredible. Dad's what's your nugget? Trust him to meet your need to be a father. Trust him to meet your need to be the father that he's calling you to be. Trust him to walk alongside of your mistakes and your failures. Trust him to turn the disappointments into something greater. Those moments you don't know what to do and all you got is you're hanging on to your wisdom. Trust him to open the word. Trust him to give you wisdom. (laughs) Trust him to, to give you the pathway that he would be glorified, not you. Trust him to restore relationships. Trust him to meet the needs that you have. You see, my boys are just now getting old enough to talk to me about some of the ways that I didn't make it too well. Some of the ways that I didn't do so well. Oh, and they don't ridicule me. We just talk. And I'm so thankful they're honest about it. But it hurts me, it grieves me because of all the places I wanted to do well in this life, it was with them. 
And so I get to trust. I get to trust that, that my Jesus is gonna meet my need to be the father they need me to be. And so I give him what I have, which is just my life. Will you do the same thing? He cares about your needs. See the potential and trust him all the way through. Trust him. We want to pray for you. The altar's been closed since we've been starting to meet again. So we've opened up our patio. And for those of you that are in this room, we want to pray every time we're together. We want to pray to the God who has the power to meet our needs and has the desire. We want to tell him our hurts and our pains. And if you've been worshiping online with us today, right underneath there, there's a spot that says prayer. You click that, somebody's waiting to pray with you right now. Maybe you're on one of our social media platforms. Hit the message button and pray. And There's somebody waiting to pray with you right now. So during the song, if you want to head out to the patio, we're going to be out there. After the song, if you, when we dismiss, you want to head out there, be there. Dads, enjoy being a dad. Trust him. Okay, trust him. For all of us, he cares. See the potential and trust him. Father, we love you.